So let's pray. Lord God, we ask you right now to be in, be in our midst. You are here already by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you now would guide us as we look into your holy words and find out what is your vision for the world. Um, we already have ideas. and let, Yeah, Lord, we want your ideas. We want your eyes and your heart for your world. And so we ask now that you would reveal this to us um, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, again, this is part one of two. So part one of two about um, the Advent vision, which is really not the Advent vision, but drawn from Scripture. What does the Bible say about outreach, about world mission in general, and then also about local outreach? Those are sort of the two ways we divide up this ministry and think about this ministry department of outreach. And so um, today I'll be looking at good news for all nations and what the Bible has to say about good news. You know, what is the good news and how is why is it for all the nations? And then next week we'll be looking at good news for the city and good news specifically for our city, for Birmingham. So, with that in mind, we're going to start at the very beginning, and we'll end up at the very end. So, it, you can imagine, if we're going to be looking at Genesis through Revelation, we're going to be going at 20,000 feet. I mean, we are really going to be zooming through the Bible and getting the big picture. And I said this in my Bible study on Friday, that with biblical interpretation, you really do want to, it's almost like a photographic lens, and um, you know where you zoom in to look at the very specific things, and then you zoom out. Or you start by zooming out, and then you can get a lay of the land, then you zoom in onto the specifics. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to have a big picture, the big picture throughout scripture for um, why the good news needs to go to all nations. And then we're going to narrow it down. We're going to look at this specific trip that we took to Nicaragua a couple weeks ago, and we're going to hear from some of the girls about what their experience on the trip was like. So... um, I know you do. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> then I won't. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. I just want you to be comfortable. I always notice when I feel like, oh no. Um, so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And right there, what we have there is um, it's the end of the chapter about how the Lord has created the whole universe. We have the universe created in the, that first week of all existence. The first week of the universe, what God creates, you know, the light and the day, or the light and the dark, the day and the night, and then all of the different creatures, and all of this culminates in the creation of humanity, of man and woman, of Adam and Eve. And at the very end of this act of creation of Adam and Eve, he... um, certainly they get to see each other and there's joy and then also God gives them a command and his command is very specific and it's double God blessed them this is verse 28 and it's a little bit more than what you have on your sheet because of space issues God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth these were called the creation mandates, where God is telling that first man and that first woman what he wants them to do. Now that they've been created, what are they going to do with themselves? What are they going to do with their time? Number one, be fruitful and multiply. They're going to multiply, which means in this context, have lots of babies, right? And, um, and why? 
Why are Adam and Eve called to be fruitful and multiply? Well, in that Garden of Eden, there they were walking with God in relationship with God himself. And that relationship was one in which um, God was exalted. I mean, we think about the Westminster Confession and what are we created for, but for God's glory, to give glory to God. And there they were, Adam and Eve, giving glory to God. And so the idea behind this multiplication of human beings is that God, who is mighty, who is exalted, deserves all glory and honor and worship. And the more voices are, the more glorious it is. Isn't it true? We feel that in church sometimes on Sunday. You can feel when it's a low Sunday, and it's not quite the same thing, is it? Kind of think, can we double ourselves and get a little louder? Uh, I wish the people around me would sing louder, because then we could feel how glorious it is. Certainly last week with um, standing room only on Easter, you get a sense for how glorious it is when so many voices join in worshiping God together. Well, that is the idea behind be fruitful and multiply, that God deserves glory and that the more of us there are that are voluntarily worshiping God, then the better it is. And so um, one of them, that mandate for Adam and Eve was to multiply, and we'll see how that carries over for us, the new people of God, the new creation after Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's the first mandate. The second mandate is um, about having dominion, um, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, who is Lord over all the earth? It's God. God himself is Lord over all the earth. And men and women simply um, are God's stewards of all creation. And I think of this, of course, the best metaphor for this for me, being the nerd that I am and being so obsessed with The Lord of the Rings, which I think is a trilogy that I've read several times in my life, uh, probably at least seven. Um, yeah, I know. It's embarrassing. But, um, and forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but that idea of stewardship um, is so wonderfully illustrated in The Lord of the Rings. If, for those of you that know, the southern kingdom is really, um, um, is it Gondor? Gondor is the southern kingdom. See, I'm a nerd, but I have trouble remembering the details. Um, in the southern kingdom, they're stewards of the northern kings. They're waiting for the return of the king who will take the throne. And the stewards have a special seat below the actual throne. They're not sitting on the actual throne, but they're governing the land on behalf of the absent king. And we are essentially the king's representatives, the representatives of God himself um, on earth, exercising his dominion. So when it says in Genesis 1, have dominion, it's talking about have dominion on behalf of God, that he is sovereign and we are his representatives. We are his stewards on earth. Okay, any questions about that before we um, go on to more Genesis? Well, Genesis 12, we see, this is all, Genesis 1 is all before the fall, right? And what happens at the fall is that um, not only does sin enter into the hearts of men and women, and not only does sin, but sin also enters into the creation. The creation itself is fallen not just men and women. And so all creation labors under the fallenness of um, humanity, under the curse from sin. And so we see that um, there's also this division among the peoples, that, um, that at the Tower of Babel, people are spread over all the earth, given different languages, 
um, because otherwise we're too arrogant. If we can all unite, we're too arrogant. Um, and that's one of the consequences of sin. And yet, God has a purpose for all the peoples of the earth. And we begin to see his purpose in his servant Abraham. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we know that God chooses Abraham and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He was to go from Haran to Canaan, or the land of Israel, the pal- you know what we call Palestine or the current country of Israel. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So there's this promise that God has good things in store for all nations, and that they will come about through his servant Abraham. And as time goes on, you see that the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, because there are other descendants of Abraham, but specifically the Israelites, when they're given the law in, um, in the desert after they've been brought out of Egypt, that God says there's this sense when God gives the law to them through Moses that this, um, this pattern for holiness, the Ten Commandments and all the different interpretations and applications of the Ten Commandments that we find in the first five books of the Bible, that those are specifically so that the people of Israel would be a light to the other nations, that they would be like a mirror showing forth God's own character to the rest of the nations, that they would be a means by which the other nations would know what God is like. So that was the idea. That was the hope. And yet, we know throughout the history of the people of Israel that, that, um, that they failed in that, just as we fail in mirroring God's own holiness to those around us. Um, and so it, it, God's not disappointed. Well, God's always disappointed in our failures, but he's not deterred. He hasn't lost hope for the future. Um, and that that was all part of God's plan. God knew that that would happen. And yet um, the law needs to be given so that we know our own failure in light of it, right? So that we see just how much each one of us does not measure up to God's own standard for holiness. So in the midst of that failure, there's still this hope, hope that God would redeem us, hope on the part of the people of Israel that God would redeem them, and through them that he would continue to somehow allow them to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We see this in Psalm 67. You see that David, even the songs sung in the temple, carried within them this hope that one day there would be more voluntary worshipers, even outside of Israel, who would be praising God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God, Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So we get this sense that all people on earth are meant to be a part of that worship of God. And we see this promise carried out also. God prophesies through the prophet Isaiah. Um, In Isaiah 60, verse 3, he promises to the people of Israel 
even as they were sort of depressed about their inability to obey the law, even as they were laboring under judgment for disobeying the law. And it's a word for us, too, even as we are laboring under our own despair or disappointment in ourselves for when we have failed to obey the law. So nice to hear the Ten Commandments when we do here, or even just to hear that first part of our liturgy when we have Holy Communion that talks about, um, uh, hear the Word of God um, that says um, uh, that we are to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the summary of the law that we find in Deuteronomy, that summary of the Ten Commandments. When we hear that on a Sunday morning, it is meant um, to be a sobering and humbling moment for us, that as we hear that ideal, we find that if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't lived up to the ideal. So as we hear that, it brings us to a place of humility, a place where we have no strength in and of ourselves to save ourselves. And yet, God is faithful. And so his words to Isaiah, uh, through Isaiah to the people of Israel in the same existential moment that we find ourselves in at the very beginning of the liturgy are this. The Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Um, there will be light, once again, even in the midst of our own darkness, that God is not, um, he's not wringing his hands. He doesn't like our sin, no, but he has a plan for our salvation and for the salvation of the world. And so Isaiah continues um, that as a result of this salvation that God will bring through the people of Israel to the people of Israel, then also all nations shall come through the light of Israel and kings will come to the brightness of the rising of the people of Israel. That there will be hope, that there's hope in God, and that when God establishes his salvation, it will be for all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the world. So that takes us right up through the end of the Old Testament. Any questions about that before we zoom ahead on into the New Testament? This is, again, the gospel throughout Scripture and the, um, the God's own vision for all the peoples of the earth, beginning from, cre from creation in Genesis and going all the way through the end of the Bible. That's pretty good for the Bible in like 10 minutes, the Old Testament in 10 minutes. <laughs> Any questions about that? Any thoughts? Any rebuttals? Well, when we turn to the New Testament, we see that this promise made in Isaiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the offspring, the true offspring of Abraham. And that through Jesus, indeed, that promise that God made to Abraham will come true. That all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, and we see that um, in so many ways throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to touch on a couple. John 3.16, our famous verse, the best evangelistic verse, the one that you hear all the time. You go to the Billy Graham crusade and that's, you know, that's the prime verse that you see everywhere. If you get an evangelical track, it's on the track, right? God so loved that we could probably say it all together, couldn't we? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have each lasting life. We all have different versions, that's okay. Uh, clearly we, we have different translations, but the essential idea is that God loves the whole world. One of the beautiful things about John's Gospel is that in John's Gospel, the world is the word cosmos in the Greek. 
and the cosmos, he uses this word, not just technically, but theologically. And the cosmos, or the world, is John's way of identifying that part of creation that is antagonistic to God. That part of creation that is wallowing in darkness, that is sinful, that has rejected and rebelled against God. That part of creation that exists all throughout and that exists even in our own hearts. God so loved even the darkness within us that he would send his son to die for us that we might know his light, that we might be redeemed from our own sins, that we might be forgiven and saved and have everlasting life through him. Um, and so what's great about this is that it's the world, yes, it's our own hearts, and it's the world all around the world, yes, all the nations of the world as well. Um, one other little touching point is that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has his first sermon in his hometown in Nazareth. And he, um, he, t- he quotes from Isaiah. He reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And then he goes on right from there. He d- reads that verse, and then he sits down, because they sat down to preach then. Maybe I should sit down right now. Rest. Um, and then he preached and expounded from the scriptures. And what he said, his application, Jesus' application of that passage from Isaiah, was specifically that this good news was not just for the people of Israel, but for those outside the people of Israel, for the Gentiles. Um, because he goes and he references two incidents from the time of the kings, from the life of the prophets. He talks about the widow of Zarephath, who was not an Israelite, but received that miracle of healing. When the um, Remember when the oil and the bread, the grain, were multiplied, and she and her son did not die? And then also, we t- he talks about the um, name in the Syrian, that he was healed from his leprosy. That God's promises are for all the people of all the nations and not just for the people of Israel. And they were so upset by this that they went and tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff at the end, you know, at the end of this experience in Nazareth. Just that's how astonishing this news is that God is going to redeem people from every nation for his own for his own glory. So that people from every nation would worship God. And we see it after Jesus' death and resurrection that um, Luke tells us, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. There you have the content of the message for all nations that repentant, well, that Jesus would die and rise and that repentance and forgiveness of sins are for people of all nations, and that those apostles would proclaim this gospel to all nations. So we see that going out from Jerusalem. Um, And then finally, finally, you're thinking, finally, finally. Um, But Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission here. Again, this is like Luke 24. This is after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's telling them what's going to happen next. He's giving them instructions for the future. And it has some echoes to that first verse that we looked at from Genesis. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, how, you might say, Deborah, how does that have anything to do with Genesis 1? Well, the two commands in Genesis 1 were be fruitful and multiply, number one, 
And number two, have dominion. Exercise God's own dominion. Be stewards of God's own lordship. Um, And what we see here is that this verse, go therefore and make disciples of, of all nations, involves that multiplication. Make more disciples. Multiply yourselves by preaching the good news and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his good work in people's hearts and lives. And then you'll find that there is this multiplication of voluntary worshipers of God, that more people from every country, from every people, from every nation will then have a voice in praising God in the new Jerusalem, that we all together will give glory to God and it will be wonderful. His name will be praised. So there's that idea of that multiplication. The second thing about having dominion, where does that come from? You might say, well, just before the verse that I put on your sheet, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is given to Jesus. Yes, God is king and sovereign over all creation, but Jesus died, risen, and uh, soon to be ascending to the Father and enthroned at the Father's right hand, seated at the Father's right hand. He is Lord over all. And it shows that God's own sovereignty and and dominion is also Jesus's. It's shared with Jesus. And then we are stewards of Jesus's lordship. That all nations, and we see this in Ephesians, which I haven't put on your sheet, all nations and every single person that ever lived in all the earth will one day bow their knees and call Jesus Lord. Whether we believe or not, Jesus is Lord and he will demand He will command our allegiance. And so our job is to bring people into that voluntary allegiance, whereby people say, wow, he died for me. He rose for me. I am a new creation in Christ because of what God has done. And so we get to be a part of that as Christians. And it's very exciting. And um, so that goes to the question, well, why? Why do we do this? Clearly we do it because God commands us to. And that's all throughout scripture. But as with any command from God, how then do we do it? Why would we um, even begin to be able to obey this command? Is it because we really try and we're good people and we give our money and we, um, we do what good people do? We're good Christians, so we do it like that. That would be the law-based activity and law-based um, motivated um, action. Um, which is not really that fruitful. Rather, what God wants is that our hearts will be set on fire for God himself because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And that that passion and that that zeal would then motivate us to tell other people to work and pray for the salvation of the rest of the world, for the salvation of all nations. Um, and Paul, the apostle, even says this in uh, Romans verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says there that he is an apostle, and he talks about why he's an apostle and how he's an apostle. But he says specifically, he is an, apo- he is an apostle in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all nations. He's not doing it because he should. He's doing it because Jesus is worthy and he deserves all worship. And our response to what he has done for us is one of gratitude and enthusiasm and zeal. 
passionate zeal for who he is and what he's done for us. And it's that that is so catching and winsome for other people. They don't want to be told um, all sorts of things. <laughs> but I could think of things, and I'm not even going to say them, what they don't want to be told. But our zeal and our passion for Jesus Christ is what will influence people um, as we proclaim the gospel, to come to faith in him and then to have lives transformed by him. So that's the why. Then the how. How do we do this? Well, we pray. And as we pray, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, as we've seen even just in these creation mandates, his will is that, all, that he would have this fellowship with his creatures, that we, his creatures, would be in loving and joyful, free fellowship with him, and that we would be worship him, worshiping him freely out of our own volition, and that there would be a loud congregation, a lot of voices singing his praise. And that's not because some people hear that and they say, wow, God's really arrogant. Um, well, um, Winston Churchill once said about his opponent, um, he's a humble man with much to be humble about. Well, if God is arrogant, then he has a lot to be arrogant about. He's God. Of course he deserves our worship. So we pray, we join our voice in, in, in praying together <clears throat> that his kingdom come and his will would be done. And Jesus also tells his disciples to pray that, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers into the harvest. That's another way for us to partner and to um, be a part of outreach is to pray that God would do his work, that he would um, motivate people, that he would turn people's hearts on to be the ones to go, to be the missionaries, to be the emissaries out. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not weeping, I just have a thing in my throat, excuse me. <clears throat> it's always possible that I'm weepy, but this time it's not. Um, so and we can pray, and we also go out. And this is just one of the very basic things about outreach, both our global and our local outreach, is that all of our outreach as, as the Advent is um, not for our benefit, but looking out beyond our own walls to seeing um, what the world around us is like and seeing how we can be um, a source of light, of God's own light, to those in darkness. Um, how we can preach to them and tell them about Jesus' love for them. How we can do that through word, yes, and also through deed, in, um, in sharing resources with them, in witnessing to them, in partnering, even just in coming alongside and being their friend, in reaching out in relationship, um, which says that they have dignity. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about how we saw that happen in Nicaragua, that even just sitting and being with someone, trying to speak their language, even if you're really bad at it, is something that, that ministers to people and tells them that they're important, that they're um, created in the image of God. So it's still a thing in my throat, I promise. Um, <clears throat> so we serve Jesus when we serve others, and our service is an act of worship. And we can serve by going out near or far. Um, we're not all necessarily called to go to a different country. I think we all might be called to go on a short-term trip to a different country. We might, we might not all be called to live in a different country. But there's so much to be gained from seeing the world outside of the walls of the U.S. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I've also just put on the, your sheet the mission statement for the outreach ministry here. You can ask me some questions about that if you'd like. Um, and right now we're going to hear, you've already been seeing behind me, you can see how wonderful a trip it was to Nicaragua. 
and we're going to talk a little bit about what that trip was like. So I'm going to ask if the girls who went on the trip wouldn't mind coming up and standing with me. To come up and stand with me. Come on. Oh. Um, so this is part of our group. We had 13 of us. Oh, come on. I'm not a girl, though. You're, <laughs> Becky, <laughs> Becky and Wes Roth Rock also went. In addition to... Um, come on. Poor Wes was our only male from um, the Advent on the trip with us, but he was a wonderful presence. Us. Um, so this is the group minus, we had a few more, we had 13 of us total. Um, there were four adults, one of whom is an administrator at Restoration Academy, which is um, a Christian school in Fairfield that we have a partnership with as the Advent. And so we just thought how wonderful it would be to um, bring them along, to get to know them better, and then also um, to go together to serve in Nicaragua and to learn. So um, there were two girls from Restoration Academy who came to a um, a sophomore and a junior, is that right? Yeah. Um, okay, so does everybody know? Let's just go and say our names just in case they don't know us. Sorry, Caroline. Um, I'm Caroline Leak, Margaret Richards, Lane Celeste Brady, Laura Lou Patrick, Catherine Neal, Becky Rochelle. Thank you. And um, I'm just at a couple girls are just going to say a couple words. I just want to ask you specifically, Lane, what this meant for you in general, how the whole trip was for you. Was there a positive moment that was like nothing else for you that you'd never experienced before? Or is that not what we said? <laughs> what do you want to say about the trip? I mean, I was just going to talk about the vocation school. Do it. But um, I mean, every day was a positive thing and also filled with negatives. But my favorite was going to Mike and Lauren's vocational school because it's just really cool how they've really listened to God's calling for them and they don't do their first instinct maybe to just like give the people money or food or whatever they're asking for. But they know that it's more important to teach them to be their own leaders and to build up their own community and help others. And I just thought that was really neat. Yeah. And we saw something that was almost antithetical to that. Um, and by antithetical, I mean the opposite, right? Didn't we? Later on in the week? We had an opportunity later on in the week, and I'll just, sorry. I know. Oh, I don't know. No. You're all making eyes. Um, this is how the whole trip was. It's wonderful. Um, I, no, it, we just, no. We, um, I would say that the vocational school was something we saw where it was multiplying efforts. You know, there's that famous old saying, give someone a fish or teach them to fish. Well, the vocational school is an amazing thing that we've supported for years that, um, that we've gotten to see firsthand several times where um, people are learning trades, which has brought them out from the lower class and given them um, an income and a way of supporting their own family. And it's something that they are then being encouraged to go and teach other people how to do. So that they, as Nicaraguans, are taking responsibility for their own families, their own lives, and then they are at work in transforming their own society by teaching other young men how to be blacksmiths, mm -hmm. right? And the cooking and sewing classes. And the cooking and sewing classes for women. You're right. Yeah, don't let me forget that. Anything you want to say about it for the trip for you personally or no? Sorry. I thought we said no. Um, Just say no, Deborah. You're wrong. 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, it definitely gave me a new perspective on everything, just being in a different country and yeah. seeing a whole new culture. Um, what was different? What was one thing that was different about Nicaragua that you had never experienced before in a country? They, they just don't have the motivation really to rise above where they the status that they've been born into, and right. so you're literally driving down the road and you just see men just like sitting in their front yards and you're just wondering like what are they doing with their lives? Are they trying to get anywhere? Yeah. And there, there's just a sense of hopelessness there that's not really here as yeah. much. You're absolutely right. Thank you for sharing that. A fatalism, and it comes from a cultural mentality that they are where they are because God intends for them to be where they are. So they are living in a dirt hut because that's what God has for them. Um, and that to do anything other, or, you know, to try to change that would be to try to flout God's own hand. It's kind of depressing. Anyway, sorry. Um, is that right? Am I getting that right culturally, would you say? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could talk for hours. I know. Well... Call Becky. She'll tell you all about it. Um, and Celeste, did you want to say, I um, would love for you to say something. We'd t yeah, what would you like to say rather than me trying to ask you the questions that will make you uncomfortable? Well, I mean, you can ask me questions if you want to. Was there something trip? about the whole trip? Oh, I just spit on you. <laughs> 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 we try this again. Um, was there something about the trip that was, how changed your perspective on something? Um, well, just because of the cultural differences, like Lane was saying there, how they're very like faithful and they're very, well, if God wills for it to happen, then it's going to happen. And then here, Americans are very like, you know, I'm going to build myself up, I'm going to work hard. And say so that was just very eye-opening because here when you minister, it's almost like you have to look at someone and be like, you need God. Like, we all need God. Like, we're all born sinful, we all, you know, that's how you minister here. And then there, we almost had to look at everyone and be like, you have a purpose. Like, you were made to do something and make a difference. And so that was hard to grasp at first, just because I'd never been put in a situation where I was trying to build a relationship with someone who had that mentality of like, hey, if God wants me to do something, it'll happen. So that was different. And it was a really good experience for me because it kind of, I just need to look at myself and realize, like, well, maybe I need to be a little more relaxed and have to get lucky and know that God has a plan. So that was, it was good. It was. Thank you, Celeste. Yeah. So we we learn from them, and that's For one sure. of the main purposes in going. Why do we go? Yeah. Well, we learn from them, and we have a long-standing relationship with them, and that relationship is built up during these short-term mission trips, so that. More than anything, you'll see people want to go on a short-term mission trip and, well, let's just build something and leave something behind, like we're staking uh, our flag on the moon. Um, but in fact, what happens more often than not, and this was certainly my experience with my first mission trip, which was when I was in um, New York City and I was acting, and it was while I was discerning, I th had thought maybe, I knew I was maybe called to ministry, but I'd put it off and said, well, that will happen later. And it was going to India. And seeing what the Lord was doing in India that changed me and made me say, life is too short for me to not be obedient about what God has called me to do. Um, and that there is very real need out there and that the need is, yes, physical, but not always physical also. You know, it just changes you to go somewhere else. And a lot of it, too, that we saw was um, the men, for instance, I'll say how I think well, Mike one day, he was saying that when the men leave work, 
you know, one man will say to another, see you tomorrow, and the other man will be like, if God wills it, and just that sort of mentality, because they, I don't know if you could call it a mental block with, like, building themselves up, but just because they don't see it, it kind of made me think, well, what in my life is, like, keeping me from, like, getting all of God's glory? Like, what is it that I don't see? Just because, like, we were able to observe with them, like, that they just don't understand that they can build themselves up. Like, they don't have to, like, remain in, like, a hut. Like, they can work hard and, like, try. And just because their culture prevents them from seeing that, it kind of made me think about, well, what in my life is preventing me from, like, receiving all of God's glory? Like, what is it that I just have a mental block about? Because it has to be something, you know? It's just different here and there. So that was really cool, too. Thank you, Celeste. Do you want to say anything about Nueva Imagen? I know that was a ministry sure. that... Um, Nueva Imagen was something that we went to for one one afternoon. Let me just check the time. That clock is inherently wrong. Um, Nueva Imagen was one ministry that we went to um, that Lauren Dybert partners with, one of our missionaries partners with and works with just in her free time as part of her ministry. Um, and it's um, a very interesting ministry. It's Nueva Imagen is Spanish for new image. Um, that women, and it's essentially women who are brought in off the street, um, are basically told, are welcomed back to the church. And pr- the gospel is preached to them, and they're just welcome to come. They're welcome to come, and it's a fellowship of sisters who are believers in Jesus, and some who are not yet believers. And some who are believers and are not yet um able to leave the life they once lived for financial reasons. And these women have nowhere else to go because the churches won't receive them and welcome them there because they know what their pasts are like. So what was it like for you to be at Nueva Imagen? Um, well, that was just an amazing experience. Two women shared their testimonies. And that, I mean, y'all would have been crying just because <laughs> the first woman, she was talking about how she went into prostitution at 15. And she thought that this was like a blessing from God. She was, you know, making money. And then she said that it was really like from hell. Those were her words. And just to hear her talk about how she was at rock bottom, you know, she had nothing, nowhere to go. She just was trying to like make money, like get out. But it was just, you know, she was getting deeper and deeper in that hole and she just felt hopeless. And she said that when she finally like turned from it, she was able to like receive God's glory. Isn't that what she said? Yeah, she was. I just thought that that was amazing that she was at that point of just despair and then she like turned to the Lord and it's just a story of redemption. And so I thought that was really neat and that kind of stood with me. And then I loved how Becky, that was actually your lines when we were talking about it, um, how I can't remember the lady's name, but she said that like, getting out of prostitution was when she finally like received all of God's glory and then Becky encouraged us kind of like what I was saying earlier to like think about your own life and like what is holding you back like what is like the prostitution in your life that's preventing you from like receiving God's glory and just like fulfillment and happiness and so I've been thinking about that <laughs> still trying to figure it out I don't know like, well, and, <laughs> over here. and that ministry was such an intense ministry because you see they were so enslaved to sin and um, 
and they thought that it was light. And it's just such, I mean, it's Romans chapter one all over again, and it's the story of every single human being, that we think that the things that are our salvation are just not at all. That we think that the things, we think, oh, if I just have this, then I'll be fine. If I just have this, then, um, and I think of that last scene in The Jerk. Have you ever seen that movie? Don't, I'm not advocating that you see that movie. But at the end of it, he is um, breaking up with his, it's uh, horrible. He's in this fight with his wife. And he's like, I don't need you. I don't need anything. And then he's like, except for this ashtray. And he starts to carry the ashtray. And then he's like, and this telephone. And he's carrying the telephone with the cord and he's dragging it along. And he just picks up all of these things that he thinks he needs. I don't need you or any of it, except for all of these things. Um, and he's so burdened by each one of those things that he thinks he needs. And I think we really are enslaved by our own sin. Yes, it's voluntary and we choose it, but we are bound. Our wills are bound until God transforms us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's really helpful to be in relationship with them and to see that about ourselves as well as about them. So let's pray and close this time off, and then um, you can ask the latest questions if you'd like. Thank you, Lord God, for your light and your truth that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, that this is for all nations. And we ask that one day what St. John saw in Revelation would indeed be the case, that all the glory of all the nations would be brought into your heavenly city, your new Jerusalem, and that it would be employed in your praise and your worship. And we ask this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.